This morning, I'm going to talk about parenting. Now, I really wish that I could have given this sermon 25 years ago, because 25 years ago, I was an expert on parenting. (laughs) You see, my kids were not going to be the kids screaming in the grocery store for a candy bar. My kids were not gonna be running freely through the mall thinking they could do whatever they want. My kids were certainly not going to talk back to me or show disrespect in any way. And it's been 25 years or so, and all of those things and more have happened. If you haven't figured out by now, there are no perfect parents. If you are a parent here this morning, no matter what kind of parent you are, whether you're married, single, spiritual parent, grandparent, parenting grandchildren, foster parent, no matter what kind of parent you are, it is difficult raising children in our modern world in this tech-heavy, me-first society. It's difficult to raise children, and there are no perfect parents. And have you ever thought about how many opportunities there are to make mistakes in raising children? There are lots of opportunities to make mistakes in raising children, and no one gives you a handbook that gives you every answer for every situation that arises. So often there's a lot of confusion and even some ignorance when it comes to raising children, when it comes to parenting. It's difficult, and there's often confusion. There's so many opinions on the proper way to raise a child. Some people think that you should enforce strict discipline, that you should structure and control all of your children's experiences and activities. There are other people who think that you shouldn't have any kind of rules, that there should be no kind of boundaries. You should let your children make their own choices and let them learn from their mistakes. There's a lot of confusion on how to properly raise children. And the confusion just ends up leading to more pressure. Because all of us who are parents want to be good parents. All of us really want to do our best in raising our children. And for the most part, every parent is really trying their best. Now, I know there's exceptions to the rule. But the general rule is parents love their children, want to do their best in raising their children, and are trying their hardest to be good parents. But I think we can all agree that it is difficult to raise children. It's difficult to be a good parent. And with so many opinions out there, So many opinions that are trying to lead us in one direction or another and all the parent shaming that's out there. Have you guys seen any of this? Have you like been online and maybe it's a Yahoo, maybe it's MSN, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe you're just watching Instagram and you see some, you see a picture of some parent that was holding their child improperly or failed to buckle them into their seat in the correct way and that thing just goes viral and everybody for all of eternity is now going to think that that's a bad parent. It gets a bit crazy because it's difficult to parent. It's difficult and can be confusing. And society has so many different views on what it means to be a good parent. 
But this morning, we're not going to look at what society says about being a good parent. We're not going to talk about what our culture thinks it means to be a good parent. We are going to look at what the Bible says it means to be a good parent. And we're going to look at some instruction from the Bible on how to be a good parent. You see, we believe that all wisdom and authority is found in the Word of God. So let's open it up and see what it has to say. Take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 is found on page 965 in the Bible that's in the rack in front of you. So if you don't have a Bible, please grab one of the Bibles that's in the rack in front of you and follow along. Page 965, Titus chapter 1. We're going to start this morning by looking at what Paul, here in Titus, has to say about parenting. Now remember, as we look at verse 5 this morning, Paul is beginning by giving us a list of qualifications for elder. And these qualifications include a requirement for fathers. Verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife. Remember last week, we focused on the word faithful. And now we move on to focus on the next phrase. Look at the phrase. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. That's the phrase that we're going to focus on this morning. If a man is going to be an elder and he has children, it says that his children must believe. That means believe in Jesus. They must believe in Jesus and not be wild or disobedient. Now, this doesn't mean that an elder must have children. It just means that if an elder does have children, that there's some expectations for those children. Now, as we've said in the last few weeks, we're using the book of Titus as a jumping off point to pick topics to talk about, to study. This morning, I'm using this verse to introduce us to the topic of parenting. But I don't want to jump away from this phrase so quickly this morning. I'd like to spend some time looking particularly at this phrase because there's some debate surrounding what this phrase actually means. The phrase, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Well, clearly, this is an elder requirement. But it's also important for us to understand that this should be a goal for every believer, not just elders, every believer. This, along with the other elder qualifications, is a description of a spiritually mature person. But as we look more closely at this phrase, please keep in mind that the spiritual journey towards maturity takes time and takes effort, and no one meets these requirements fully or completely or perfectly. So now the phrase. It's very important that we understand that th what this phrase means, and to do that, we first need to understand that there is a debate about what the adjective defining children actually means. 
So do you see the subscript B next to the word believe? Do you see it? Thank you. Give me something. Do you see it? Yes. Yes, thank you. That means go to the bottom of the page and look at an alternate translation. See the bottom of the page? See the lowercase b on the bottom of the page? Next to the lowercase b on the bottom of the page is the word trustworthy. You see, most of the debate around this phrase centers on whether the Greek word here means believe, as it is translated in our NIV, or means trustworthy or faithful, as it is translated in some other Bible translations. Now, due to time considerations, I can't go into all the pros and cons for each side of the debate. But what I would like to say this morning... In my opinion, in my opinion, based upon the evidence, I do not believe that the NIV translation is the best translation. I don't believe they've used the best word in this case and in this scenario. The view that all of a man's children must be believers goes too far. It puts on the elder the responsibility for his child's genuine conversion, which is beyond anyone's control. The more literal literal rendering of the Greek phrase here is having faithful children, which has a general meaning of having children who are generally obedient, reliable, well-behaved. That's generally what is being said in this case. Further, while parents can keep their children under control through loving, proper discipline, they can pray for their children's salvation and should pray for their children's salvation, seeking, leading them, encouraging them to become followers of Jesus, to become believers. It is ultimately God's responsibility. Their salvation is not in the parents' hands. A child's salvation is ultimately in the hands of God. It is something that only God can do. Now, granted, parents have great influence and impact in leading their children toward Jesus, in leading their children to become followers of Jesus, in leading their children to become Christians, but ultimately, one's salvation is a supernatural act of God. And the decision is in His hands. So what does it mean? than for parents. What is the parent's responsibility? Well, the parent's responsibility, the parent's call, is to influence and impact their child towards Jesus. It's to impact and influence their child to become a follower of Jesus. That is the parent's responsibility, first and foremost to God, and then it is played out in and through their children to impact and influence their children toward Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what that looks like this morning. Now, there are lots of verses we could have gone to that talks about how God parents or how God encourages us in parenting. I've chosen two. We're limited to 35 minutes or so, so I've chosen two texts that are going to help us understand what it means to be a good parent. 
The first text is a negative admonition that God gives to parents. The second text is positive instruction that God provides to parents. So first, the negative admonition. If you take your Bibles and turn back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. It's found on page 950 in the church Bible. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is providing us with instructions for a godly household. He's telling us what a godly family is to look like. And his instructions to parents happen in verse 4. So Ephesians 6 verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. But look what we have. We have a little subscript B again. So look at the bottom of the page. See the bottom of the page? You see, this instruction is not just for fathers. You see, the Greek word here could be translated parents because it includes both fathers and mothers. But it is true. And why the NIV picked fathers is because it is true that the emphasis is placed mostly on fathers, which is a bit sobering. So if you're a father here this morning and you're sleeping through life or you're sleeping through this sermon, the encouragement is for you to wake up and recognize the responsibility that you have because you have ultimate responsibility here. Now, the admonition here is to deliberately avoid things that exasperate your child. Other translations say, provoke them not to anger. Now, the word here is not meant to describe light irritation or temporary upset by the child because any child who is experiencing discipline is not going to like that discipline. They are going to be temporarily upset. There is going to be irritation on the part of the child. So that's not the meaning of the word here. The word here means anger that results in rebellion. Anger that results in rebellion. That's why exasperation is such a good word here. It is such a full word that has great meaning. You don't exasperate your child. It's like a full, meaningful word that means do not provoke your child to anger that results in rebellion. In other words, don't drive them crazy. And there are two things that exasperate children. There are two things that pro provoke children to anger that results in rebellion. Two things that ultimately will drive a child crazy. The first is indulgence, and the second is harshness. The two things that will provoke a child to anger that results in rebellion, indulgence, and harshness. To indulge a child is to fail to provide proper discipline. To indulge a child is to fail to provide proper discipline. Now we know that the two things that cause this type of rebellion are indulgence and harshness because of the instruction that Paul gives. Look at what he says in the positive. 
He says, bring them up in the training or discipline that could also be translated discipline and the instruction or exhortation of the Lord. The opposite of training or discipline is indulgence and the opposite of instruction or exhortation is harshness. And to indulge a child is to fail to provide them proper discipline. Lack of proper discipline makes a child feel insecure, miserable, and self-centered. It is what we would refer to as spoiling a child demonstrating indulgences, allowing a child to be spoiled, to think that they can have whatever they want, whenever they want it, without thinking about others, is spoiling a child, and that results from indulging the child. It results from a lack of discipline. Proper discipline is creating proper rules and structures and guidelines for your child. It's making decisions for your child. Your child is a child, and children are unable to make proper decisions for their own welfare. Now, again, this is is as long a scale, right? A two-year-old doesn't make very many decisions well at all. A five-year-old can start to make some more, but is still very limited in the decisions they can make. A 15-year-old gets to make more decisions, and an 18-year-old gets to make even more decisions. There is a scale, but in general, by and large, Today, there are too many parents that allow their children to make decisions that they are completely incapable of making because they do not ultimately understand the consequences of the decisions. To be a good parent means you provide your child with proper discipline, proper rules, proper regulation, proper boundaries, and you help your child, you love your child by making decisions for them. To be good parents, we need to set clear expectations for our children to follow. They need to understand that if they participate in certain kinds of misbehavior, that there's consequences for that behavior. And if you do not follow through on those consequences, your child will know it, they will understand, and ultimately, they will end up owning you. I was in a a restaurant not so long ago and I was observing uh, a family and the father and the daughter were having a conversation. The daughter had to be about five or six years old and she wanted some ice cream for dessert. And so the daughter asked the father, hey, can I have some ice cream for dessert? And the father, the father like, it's clear he doesn't want his daughter to have any ice cream for dessert. He clearly thinks this isn't the best decision for his daughter's welfare. So he asks his daughter, Honey, do you really want some ice cream? (laughs) Now, if that's not the stupidest question. (laughs) Of course she wants some ice cream. She asked him for some ice cream. So her reply is, quizzically, Well, yes, Dad, I want some ice cream. Can I please have some ice cream? He then tries a different tact, and he's like, well, you know, I don't think ice cream's the best choice tonight. I don't think the ice cream's really good for you. Do you really want to eat something that's not really good for you? Again, not the brightest question. Of course the five-year-old wants the ice cream. She's not morally capable of making the right decision on her behalf in that moment and in that period of time. So I'm watching this develop and I watch them continue to have a dialogue and I watch the father. You know what happened, don't you? 
my nose, he gave her the ice cream. What's the result? The lack of proper discipline, the lack of proper boundary, the lack of proper guideline, the lack of proper structure, the daughter ends up feeling insecure. Ultimately, she ends up feeling unloved because there's not a proper structure created by proper discipline. So you get this girl, I'm watching this little girl and I'm thinking to myself and you can kind of see the frustration on her face because she doesn't feel secure. She feels insecure because she's able to make all the decisions. So one way you can provoke your child to anger. One way you can exasperate your child is by indulging them. The second way is by being harsh, is by being harsh. Now, if you'll notice, as I talked about discipline, I always use the qualifier proper discipline because there are some people who think that to discipline a child means to be rigid, incredibly extreme. Some people think proper discipline is demonstrated through harshness. And the problem is, harshness or legalism will also result in an exasperated child. It will also result in a child who is so angry that they will rebel. If your household or if you in your household as a parent are a person who says, it is my way, this way, or get out, that kind of attitude, if you raise your voice, if you yell, those are demonstrations of harshness in your household. If you enforce rigid, unflexible, ridiculous rules, that is a demonstration of harshness or legalism that will cause your child to rebel. On one hand, indulgence will lead to anger that results in rebellion. And on the other hand, harshness, legalism, will cause a child to be angry and rebel. You have to remember, you are not leading easy company. This is not the military. Your home is not a military unit. Demonstrate proper discipline proper boundaries, guidelines, and structure for your child so that they will not, in anger, rebel, so they will not be exasperated. You know, ultimately, we need to realize, if you are a parent in any way, you need to realize that your child is a gift from God. Children are a gift from God. Look at what the psalmist writes in Psalm 127, beginning in verse 3. Children are a heritage from the Lord. That's also a gift. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Children are a gift from God. They are a gift from God who we are called to lovingly, properly discipline. Don't indulge them. Don't treat them with harshness, but properly lead them and guide them because they're a gift from God. And we live in a society that often conveys the message that children aren't a gift, they're actually a burden. 
They get in the way of what we should want. They get in the way of the career we're pursuing. They get in the way of our personal goals or our personal desires. And God says, no, your children are not a burden. Your children are a gift. So treat them as such and recognize that they are this gift that you are not to indulge and you are not to treat harshly and you are not to neglect because they're a gift from God. So that's the negative admonition. Parents, do not exasperate your children. Now the positive instruction. The positive instruction is found in Proverbs 22, verse 6. Look at this positive instruction. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now, some of us learn this verse through a different translation that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, no matter in which form you learned this verse, or even if it's the first time that you've ever seen this verse, the message is the same. The message is, when a child is young, demonstrate proper discipline, train them up in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will choose to follow Jesus. Train them up in the way they should go, which means train them up to follow Jesus. Impact them, influence them toward Jesus. Impact them, influence them to be followers of Jesus, and then when they are old, they will not depart from it. But here's the thing. Often we look at this verse and we look at it as an ironclad promise. It's not an ironclad promise. It's a proverb. And a proverb is a general maxim about life. So how we should interpret this or look at this is generally speaking, Generally speaking, if you train a child up in the way he should go, when he is older, he will not depart from it. It's a proverb. So we should treat it as such, as a proverb. It's not an ironclad promise, but a proverb does have truth behind it. And the truth behind it is, generally speaking, if you train a child to follow Jesus, when they are old, they are going to follow Jesus. There are exceptions, but the instruction for us is clear. Train up a child to follow Jesus. So this morning, I want to share with you a top 10 list of how to train up a child to follow Jesus. Now, this is not an all-inclusive list. I'm sure you could come up with more on your own. You may have a top 15 list. You may even be really adventuresome and aggressive and have a top 20 list. This top 10 list I compiled from a number of sources, and I think it is very helpful as we think through how to train up a child in the way she should go. Now, even if you are not a parent, these are very applicable for being a follower of Jesus living in the world we live in as well, okay? And also, right before I get into this list, I don't want you to think that I followed each one of these 10 perfectly. Because I didn't. Okay. Number one. First one. 
to train a way to train up your child. Jesus is life. Life is all about Jesus. Jesus is life. Life is all about Jesus. Jesus himself claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus promises his followers life abundant, full, and free. He promises to give us life. And if Jesus promises us this, our lives should be all about Jesus. That means morning, noon, and night. Jesus. All of our lives, everything we do, the decisions we make, the choices, everything that we do, our be, say, speak, all about Jesus. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 about this. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, unfortunately, many of us only think about Jesus on Sunday morning or when we're in trouble or when we're sick or when we're experiencing difficulties in life. Unfortunately, we don't often think about Jesus when it comes to what house we're going to live in or what car we're going to drive or what, what school we're going to go to. Unfortunately, we don't often think about how Jesus impacts what we eat or how long we sleep or what we drink. Unfortunately, Jesus doesn't impact often those everyday decisions of life that we need to make. And what the first point is here is you need to recognize that Jesus is life and life is all about Jesus. And when you live your life that way, your child is going to see that. They are going to observe your living, you living your life with Jesus as the center of your life. And when you do that, they will want to be like you. Number two, pray. Pray, 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 pray. Deuteronomy chapter 4 tells us that we serve a God who comes near us when we pray. If you want God to be close, if you want God to be close to you personally, if you want God to be close to your children, pray. Pray because when you pray, he comes close. When he comes close, your children will be able to experience him. So pray in front of your children. Make sure your children hear you praying out loud. Pray at meals. Pray at bedtime. Stop your day and say, hey, let's pray together. Have your children hear you pray. And when they hear you pray, they will see that your God is important to you, that you believe he exists, and they too in turn will learn how to pray. Pray, 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 and pray for the salvation of your children. Pray for your children's holiness. Pray that they will persevere. Pray, pray, pray. Number three, make the Bible the most important book. Make the Bible the most important book. Make the Bible the most important book in your life so it can be the most important book in your child's life. There are a lot of good books out there. A lot of really good books out there. Not one of them compares to the Bible. You see, many people out there say the Bible is full of stories. It's full of really good stories. It's full of really good inspirational stories. It's full of kind of some truths that might help us make a decision in life. It's full of things that are going to help guide us in life. Yeah, okay, that's all true. But do you understand that it is the very word of God? Amen. 
The Bible is not just any book. It is a book that is completely true, is completely accurate, is completely applicable to our lives, and it is completely sufficient to any issue you will ever face in life. It has the answer to every question that you will ever be faced with. It has God's very purposes and meaning and call for your life in that book. Make it the most important book in your home. Number four, be an example of faith. Each one of us need examples of faith in our life. Each one of us needs someone who we can look at and who we can look up to who makes choices for God. And this isn't faith in the sense of we think of just believing. This is a faith that acts. This is a faith that believes in the promises of God and acts on those promises. So if you want your child, if you want to influence your child for Jesus, if you want to impact your child for Jesus, be that example of faith to your child. Now that doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you're faithful and you're real. So if God asks you to sell your house, that means you sell your house. If God asks you to drive a different car, that means you drive a different car. If God asks you to take a different job, that means you take a different job. If God asks you to pack up and move to Africa, that means you pack up and you move to Africa and you can be the example of faith to your child because when you demonstrate acts of faith, when you act like you actually believe in what you say you believe in, your child is going to see that and is going to imitate that. Number five, be happy. Yes, I said it. Be happy. No child wants to live a life that is sad and melancholy. Jesus brings life. Jesus is life, full, abundant, free. So be happy. Now that doesn't mean that you don't have difficulties. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be sad at times. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be discouraged. But what is your general overall disposition? Because if it is not happy, if your general disposition is angry or upset or melancholy or sad, what child in the world is ever going to want to follow that? So be happy. Be happy because you got Jesus. And then your kids will want Jesus as well. Number six. Discipline. Discipline. We've talked, we've spoken a bit about discipline. Your children need proper discipline. They need structure. They need organization. They need leadership. They need guidance. They need you to answer the questions of life for them. They need you to make decisions for them. Discipline your children. Properly discipline your children. Have you ever noticed every child that comes out of the womb is just a raging little animal? (laughs) They're out of control. They cry all the time. They're crazy. They're selfish. It's all about me. Yeah, most of them come out cute, but not... Did you get that? That's right, not every kid comes out cute. Most of them, yes. Most of them come out cute, but you have a responsibility as a parent to provide proper discipline for your child. Number seven, be humble and willing to apologize. Be humble and willing to apologize. There is no perfect parent. 
If you are here and you are a parent, you are not a perfect parent. There is no parent who is right 100% of the time. We'd be doing well to be batting about 70%. Nobody is right 100% of the time. So when you're wrong, admit that you're wrong. Admit that you made a mistake. Admit that you made a bad choice. Apologize first and foremost to God and then go to whomever you wronged. If it is your child that you wronged, go to that child and apologize. If you did something that was outside of the character of God and it has somehow affected your child, go to your child in humility and be willing to apologize to that child. Please listen to what I'm going to say. If you are here and you have never apologized to your wife or to a child or to your husband and your child, you have a problem. Did you hear me? Thank you. Number eight, (laughs) worship together. Worship together. You've heard Jim say it in the past. I've said it a few times as well. We believe that scripture is very clear that Jesus Christ is uniquely present in this gathering, in this assembly of believers. In other churches as well, But in Calvary Church, when we gather together to worship, we believe that Christ is uniquely present in this place. That means that you and I need to be in this place on a Sunday morning, worshiping Jesus Christ, recognizing that he is Lord and he is Savior. When you come here, what ends up happening is you experience the living God. You recalibrate your life, your tanks become fuller, you get to fill your tank during the week. This is the place where you experience Jesus in a way that you cannot experience him anyplace else. And let me tell you something, you cannot experience him in this way on the soccer field. You cannot experience him at the band concert. You cannot experience him in a family trip in the same way. You can't experience him at the cottage watching it on TV. You experience God as we gather as the assembly of Jesus Christ in this place. And what happens when you do, the benefit that you receive when you do, when your children recognize that this is a priority and an importance to you, when they see you come in this place and bow your knee before God and maybe raise your hands in worship and submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, they recognize that this means something to you. And the beautiful byproduct is that every once in a while, you get an actual glimpse of what heaven is like. And it becomes so attractive that your child will say, I want that. Number nine, uphold holiness. Uphold holiness. We are called, God calls us to be holy people, set apart for him, not making the same unholy choices that the world makes. So as a parent, instruct your child in holiness. Explain to them what it means to be sexually pure. Explain to them financial integrity. Explain to them trustworthiness. Explain to them hard work. Explain to them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Explain to them that the Lord God is holy and calls us to be holy. Explain that God is a God of grace, but also explain that God is a God of truth and justice, and he calls us to holiness. Number 10, love. It's all wrapped up in love. 
love your children. Tell them you love them. Speak words of affirmation and love to your children. Hug them, kiss them, show them that you love them. And I promise you, if you demonstrate the first nine, if you live by the first nine out of the top 10, your children will know that you love them. But more importantly, they will know that God loves them. The top 10 list for training up your children in the way that they should go. So last week, I told you about my visit to Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) I used it as somewhat humorous illustration of all the distractions we have in life. I also mentioned that I spent some time sitting outside of Chuck E. Cheese reminiscing about all the times that Jen and I took our children to Chuck E. Cheese. Well, as I was reminiscing, I spent time thinking, evaluating, how I did as a parent. And I identified some successes. I identified some things I did well. I also recognized some things that I didn't do so well. That if I had the opportunity to go back, I'd change. Things that I just flat out made wrong choices. Starting that day, and over the past few weeks, I think God shared some things with me for me personally, and I think also for each one of you. They were encouraging for me, and I hope they're encouraging for you as well. So I'd like to end uh, with three things, three kind of statements that I hope are encouraging for you as we parent our children. First, don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. And this doesn't mean don't go back and evaluate. Don't evaluate your past, don't evaluate what you're doing currently, don't think about what you're doing in the future, but it's so much our tendencies to look back and and to beat ourselves up, to, to think about all the things we would have done differently. God doesn't want you to beat yourself up. He wants you to recognize that that He's God and He's in control. And He's the one who takes mistakes. He's the one who takes bad decisions and uses them and redeems them for himself. So evaluate yourself. And if if you need to go back and apologize to God for making a bad decision, go ask for forgiveness. If you need to go back to a child, go to the child and ask them for forgiveness. But don't beat yourself up. Last year, Jen and I were visiting a friend and our friend said something to us that was very interesting in this regard. She said, have you ever thought about the perfect father? And I was like, yeah. And I realized she was leading somewhere with it. But she goes, you ever thought about the perfect father? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, the perfect father in the perfect situation, making all the perfect decisions. His first two children made pretty rebellious choices. You see, God the father in the Garden of Eden made every right choice in the perfect environment. And Adam and Eve still made rebellious decisions. Don't beat yourself up. Second, keep on parenting. Keep on parenting. Whether your child is two, 22, or 52, your child still needs you. They need you to parent them. 
Now, you're parenting different at two than you are at 22 or 22 than you are at 52. All along the way, it's different types of parenting, but your child needs you to parent. So my encouragement would be, no matter what stage of parenting you're at or what stage of parenting you're in, go back to the top 10 list and modify it for the stage of parenting you're in because don't ever forget that you need to keep parenting your child because your child needs you. So it's never too late. It's never too late to be a good parent. And then third and finally, God is a better parent than you. God is a better parent than you. God is a better parent than me. And what that means is that he loves your children more than you love your children. He not only loves your children more than you love your children, he loves your children more than you could ever love your children. And God himself knows where your children are. He knows the choices they're making. He knows the story that they have been living. And no matter what that story looks like, he loves them, he cares for them, and he has their best interests at heart. And he, he himself has a plan for them. So rest in the fact that God loves your child more than you do. So ultimately, the response as we end is you and I as parents opening up our hands. All right, Lord, they're yours. And I know you love them more than I do. To God be the glory. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.